On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss predictions we made at the start of 2021 to see what we got right and what we might have gotten wrong. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 90 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse forums, Telegram groups, Discord server, and more. We also take topics from shows around the network and give our takes. With me are my two fantastic co-hosts, Nate and Wendy. Uh, what is going on, guys? It's been a while. I've missed you. It has been a while. Nate, don't lie. <laughs> I threw many banana peels at you and not one hit you. So yes, I did indeed miss you. I am aware of the banana peels <laughs> that got thrown my way. I did listen to the show, especially after the charity stream, which I want to mention. Thank you for those that did either participate, donate, etc. You guys did an amazing job and mad amount of respect for the people who donated to St. Jude's. Much appreciated. It was a fun stream for us too. At least I thought it was fun. I liked giving you a bit of a digital ribbing as it were. It's for all the ribbing that I give you on the show. That's right. I knew it was going to show up, so whatever. It's fair. Though I did find out one thing. Ryan and Michael are still terrible at video games. Well, I mean, was that really a surprise though? I mean, do you think that was not going to be the case? No, I predicted it multiple times and they proved me right. So, you know, hey, it works. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Speaking of predictions and other things that we have going on. Nate, you've been a little busy with a Raspberry Pi and your website. I have been. It was a project that I started actually early this year, getting into the pie hole. I think we talked about it episode 40 something, maybe 50 something. I, I, I don't recall exactly. I set up a pie hole to try and squeeze a little more performance out of my network. And I never really wrote about it because I didn't have the time. A lot of transitions going on at that time. Life was busy. Another thing that also I got involved in this year was setting up home assistant at my new place. And I got really busy again and I didn't really like put all my notes together. So what I decided to do, uh, although it was two days late, put together a pie hole the easy way just to make it really basic from zero to 55 with a pie hole, not getting into like the in-depth features, but just getting started with it. Because sometimes for me anyway, I have this problem where I have all these different ways that you can accomplish a task. You're just like, I just want to accomplish a task. What's the best way? And then you get like 13 different answers as to this is how you should do it. You know, do it in Docker, do it in a VM, do it in this way, do it that way. So I decided to make it like the easiest way possible to get started with Pi-hole at the lowest cost. For me, I did it with a Raspberry Pi 3 because they're pretty cheap and I happen to have one sitting around. It was just going from zero to 55. I don't want to say 60 because I'm not getting full speed because that's on you to study it further, but just to write it up, make it very basic. And then the other thing I did too was also for Home Assistant. That was another project where you know I was given 17 different answers as to how I should actually accomplish the task. It's like, you know, I just want to have Home Assistant. What's the easiest way to do it? And so after a lot of studying and a lot of like digging into the subject, I put together many of YouTube videos too. I put together a Home Assistant Raspberry Pi, getting it set up in a very basic way, just doing a single thing with it, even if you don't have any switches. I have on there to ping, see if your computer systems or whatever you have on the network is connected or disconnected. So for me, I want to see like if I have any issues with or have I turned off things in my cubicle labs, I can actually check my home assistant will tell me if they're on or off at that time. Neat little things like that. I wrote it all down. I published it for articles for cubiclenate.com. They've been on the popular side. So a real website out there, it's piddly probably, but I have had some good feedback from people saying, hey, that was great. And I also did a video on Piehole the Easy Way as well, which is on YouTube. So if you want to check that out, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to all that is right there. I really did like the rundown you had. I'd already had mine set up and we will get to that later on in the show my setup of the Raspberry Pi and Pi Hole, but I really do like the way you laid it out and including those screenshots inside of your tutorial really helps someone who's just getting started into this 
know where they need to go and what they need to do, at least based on this version of the user interface for the Pi. I've seen some different things where they've really updated over the years, and I have to say that, man, it looks good for a user interface on the Pi Hole. For sure. I do prefer the dark themed interface. I think it just looks sharp. It's a nice presentation. It kind of gives you all that nerdy information that you really want to have. Listeners who haven't done a Raspberry Pi project, this is, I think, is a great one to start off with. It's a good way to cut your Pi teeth, as it were. So, Wendy, probably because of your excitement of getting your first Raspberry Pi, apparently you messed up something on DLN Extend 89. I mean, I didn't notice. You didn't notice because I fixed it just before it launched. Oh, okay. This is one of those things that I, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that I didn't catch it. So I'd done the editing, didn't catch it. I did the listen through, I didn't catch it. I was uploading it to YouTube and just to make sure, because I'm always paranoid that I'm going to upload the wrong show. Oh, sure. So before I set it for the scheduling, I want to listen back to the first little bit of it just to make sure that it's good, that I did get the right episode uploaded. So I hit the button and I listened back and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I cut out the intro. It started with this episode is brought to you by, and it didn't have the main (laughs) introduction of the show at all. So I'm like, really, really? I'm just about to go to bed. Thankfully, I pulled in just my audio. I cut that part out at the beginning, did the processing, got it pasted into the front Biggest problem was that fix was pretty easy just because the way I pasted it in with everything locked together, right? It slid everything over, had to move the music around, not too bad. But I put in way, way more timestamps in episode 89 and every single one of those timestamps need to be adjusted. That's what took me the most amount of time was to go back in and Mm. edit every single one of those timestamps. But yeah, I messed up the show and I caught it on the very final time that I possibly could have before it went out to everybody else. And I can't believe, especially on the listen through when it would have been the easiest to catch it before I'd done any other timestamps? I missed it. <laughs> I mean, I like to say that, you know, these things happen to everybody. They probably do. You know, I mean, what can you do? I'm glad you caught it. No listener out there, unless they hear this, will they've even recognized that there was any problem. But I'm glad you fixed it. I guess hopefully that doesn't happen again because I hate for you to put in extra work. That's the part that I think stinks. <laughs> it's never when you're like, oh, well, I've got plenty of time. Yeah, this is no big deal. I'll fix it. It's always when you're like, gosh dang it, all I want to do is go to bed. I will be very <laughs> diligent from here on out to make sure that that doesn't happen anymore. Editing shows, content creation is always an adventure. Indeed it is. That is no joke. It's been a while since we've had an update on your Apple challenge, Matt. How is it going? Is there any polite way to put this? The short version is there are some things that I do like about this so far. Other things, however, (laughs) make it not as easy as some people seem to think. My biggest complaint right now, so this is a creator's OS. That's its shtick, that's its thing, you know, be it, I'm not even going to get into the vertical integration stuff. Just an example of some of the frustrations I've dealt with. So this is a content creator's OS, like specifically speaking Mac OS. Why can it not record desktop audio? Because it does it better. (laughs) Even for all of (laughs) Linux's faults, it can still at least record desktop audio. Even for all of Windows' faults, I can still record desktop audio by default. I don't need a $40 application to essentially have a virtual audio cables or a jack 
to make it work. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait. $40 application to make it work? Yeah. There's an app on Windows called Virtual Audio Cables. It's essentially what this app does for macOS. It's mad annoying. It basically creates a virtual cable link for macOS to read and understand that, oh, hey, look, there's desktop audio piping through it. Again, this makes Jack and everything else... (laughs) For all those flaws, not nearly as bad. I think it's really, really a big oversight as a content creator OS. Example, the one of the last videos I did, I had to do that on Linux because guess what? I couldn't do it on a Mac. (laughs) (laughs) One of the other things is my mixer board that I have that I've been testing XLR and stuff on. Oh, hey, look, headphone microphone combo jack doesn't detect the microphone portion of that mixer board at all. And I've tried different cables, I've tried dongles, I've tried take your pick, it doesn't work. Yep, plug it into my EliteBook 8760W right into the mic port, works perfectly fine. So as a content creator, I'm just saying, these are the problems I'm ready to get to. USB works perfectly fine. I'm not going to rag on that, but I found iOS not as horrible as I thought. I'm not a fan of the walled garden for all of Android's faults. The fact that the music player selection on Mac or iOS is not great does not endear me to it. I'm kind of up in the air if, like, I'll probably keep this stuff until it falls off and then something tells me they're probably going to get nuked and paved into oblivion and the iPhone will end up probably becoming just an overglorified music player. That's kind of where I sit currently on that challenge. Finding its faults. Oh, one other thing. Anybody who says you don't have to open a terminal, download unassigned applications you do because security and stuff if you go into the security privacy settings there's a way that you're supposed to be able to install applications from everywhere there's no pointy quickie checkbox to actually do that with you have to go in the terminal and actually enable it really those that use open source applications a lot of those unassigned binaries are dmgs and there's a few other different installer formats believe it or not on mac it's not just the app store or dmg they require you to go in the terminal enable it, then it'll show up in the GUI app. So it's just one of those things where if you actually use it, or if you want to go outside the bubble, so I disabled it and went back to just using App Store stuff like most quote-unquote Apple users would. Kind of annoying, not gonna lie. So there are things that people don't want to talk about, and don't even get me started on the gaming. (laughs) Thousand games, I can play a tenth of them. Wow. (laughs) Next time somebody complains about the way Linux gaming is, go play it on an Intel-based Mac. That's only a tenth of my collection. So I have a thousand games. I can play 110 to be exact. And does that have anything to do with the graphics card or does that have everything to do with the drivers and support inside macOS itself? That just has macOS in and of itself. And the filters where you can do by OS and all that stuff. It's literally I clicked on the top, went to Mac only games, and it's a tenth of them. And even some of the Mac only games, guess what? You can't play them because it, well, Mac OS is 64 bit only. Hmm. You're out of luck there. There's no shim or anything to make it work? Nope, nope, nope. Example, I downloaded and installed a game called Dex. Really low system requirements, 2.5D Cyberpunk, you know, just one of those games that I like. Not a high requirement game. You double click on it to run it through Steam. It shows up the icon for the game in the dock and it just sits there and that's it. Surprise. And it gives you a nice little warning on it. It's like, this game requires 32-bit. Your current OS version doesn't support these. And there's not a shim anywhere. Not even like a someone who took some time to figure out a way to make it work. Like in Linux, you always have somebody. There's like molten VX. Like I'm not diving into it. I'm not taking the Linux approach and be like, oh, I'll find some way to make this work. Generically, if I can't make stuff work like fairly simply. Whereas in macOS, I'm taking the macOS approach well okay it doesn't work move on that's what i'm doing it's not all roses and sunshine that everyone seems to always make it so 
those are just some of the issues I have. Anyway, there's a whole laundry list of stuff I could complain about when it comes to Apple and the ecosystem and macOS. This episode of Dale on Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now's the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all the heavy lifting. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and containers. By running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than any other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup, too. As a DLN Extend listener and member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app on their App Platform for free, and it gets better. DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Something I don't think we should be complaining about is it's a new year, but let's kind of look backwards and see what came true for our predictions back in episode 39 to what we are and where we're at now and whether or not any of those came true. Wendy, we'll start with you. (laughs) One of yours was, I believe, GIMP, right? Yes, I said that GIMP 3.0 would be out and no, we're on (laughs) 2.30. Yay! And I'm not saying that great things haven't happened in GIMP because they really have. There's been some awesome stuff. 2.10.30 launched just towards the end of December on the 21st. And it really does have some cool improvements, especially if you need to use PSD files. There's more support in it. It can take some of the layer mass, the CMYK, use those on a 16-bit per channel. They've added some really great support, especially when it comes to if you have to use PSD files on this very last one. They're making improvements, but 3.0 just isn't here quite yet. But to be fair, there's been all kinds of craziness going on. So I will give myself a break on not having GIMP 3.0 yet. Yeah, I was looking forward to seeing what they were going to do with the major quote-unquote GIMP 3.0 release, but they haven't. So it'll be interesting to see when that big number change happens and whether or not all those features and functions most people expect with a big number release, like a standard 3 or 4, those kind of numbers will end up happening. But there has been a lot of improvements in GIMP over the past year. Yep, yes they have, and 3.0 will come eventually. It's just not here yet so i'm not going to make a prediction about when it's showing up now because obviously i was extremely wrong but it'll be here sometime and it'll be great when it is is there something big that's coming in three one of the biggest things that they're working towards for 3.0 is to have a very seamless complete non-destructive workflow that's been one of the biggest complaints for people using this application for years it's one of the ones why michael hasn't liked to use this as opposed to at one time he was using photoshop now he uses photopea 
that is a great application. If you haven't checked it out, it's a web-based application. I now use it quite regularly when I do the updates on the graphics for the show. But the problem is you make a change in GIMP and if you lose your undo portion, it's stuck. You can't go back and make any of those changes for a lot of different things, especially if you're adding effects and the like. If you're using a Photoshop, you could apply an effect and then go back and edit it, either make it stronger, weaker, make some changes to that, and it just hasn't been an option in GIMP. The Mm. goal for 3.0 is to be a solid, non-destructive editor where you can make as many changes as you want and go undo them, go back to base zero. It is a big undertaking. It's not a small job. There's a whole lot of coding to do. There's a whole lot of tweaking to do. So that's why I'm saying, you know, it didn't happen this year and that's completely okay. It's some heavy lifting that needs to be done and the changes they are making have been awesome. Yeah, I mean, it does appear that they're doing some great things with the GIMP project. I've been enjoying using it. I don't use any of those advanced features. I mean, I just create like thumbnails or I do some very rudimentary editing, but I can imagine someone like Michael or or you that have more advanced things that that non-destructive editing is probably extremely critical. Yeah, and for the most part, the non-destructive editing I need is already there. I do the major editing part if there's any to do inside dark table, which is completely non-destructive. And then from there, if I'm taking it into GIMP, it's because there's dust that needs to be removed. Or if it's a landscape image and I'm combining multiple layers together to get the overall look that I want to make it feel more natural that's when I would pull it into there. And they already have different layer masks that I can use that's non-destructive and I can go back and tweak and make changes to them, no problem. The non-destructive mm-hmm. I need, they have. This is more for graphic design and I got you. those type of applications. I've already got what I need. Well, you know, that's good though. You got what you need. That's important. But I do think that the non-destructive editing for GIMP, I think will be great. And uh, I think a name change of that project would be great too. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people that feel that way. It's not one of those that's ever really bothered me. I've not been bothered by that name but it does bother some people so if the project wants to change it that's up to them but i don't really have anything to say on the need to change the name yeah i don't really care either i just think it's a stupid name that's all i'm with nate on that one (laughs) it's catchy Well, my first prediction was an absolute dud, but Matt, you have one that got nailed pretty gosh dang good with Linux gaming. You want to tell us more about it? Well, most of mine shifted around kind of Linux gaming or graphics related stuff. I kind of went for the vertical integration stuff for the most part. I went for hardware, software, and the one we're specifically talking about though is easy anti-cheat, but also some of the other anti-cheat stuff got supported on Linux. So as an example, one of them is Battle Eye. I could not for the longest time play Planet Side 2, which is a free-to-play FPS kind of game. Guess what? Works on Linux now. Just enable Battle Eye Proton in Steam and it works. Just quick play, quick install. All the stuff you'd want. That is a big thing. I'm still waiting. I'm a little skeptical on EAC because I haven't seen a whole lot of progress as far as games that use it being announced to actually work with it or that they'll work kind of sporadically. They'll work a little bit, then they won't, then they'll work, then they won't, then they work, then they won't. But the fact that it's there and in Proton is definitely cool because I believe I said that it might not be native but they'll figure out a way to make it work if it's not native in Proton in some way shape or form and they kind of did because you know Valve came out and was like hey AC 
<laughs> for Linux. And a lot of that does have to do with the Steam Deck. I'm not going to lie. Like you can't say that it's for any other reason than, oh, this multi-billion dollar company is launching a new product. We might want to have our games ready. I'm still waiting for the Fortnite there, Epic. <laughs> So for me, that one ended up true, yes. That's awesome that it did, though. I didn't think that would come true. Yeah, I wasn't thinking it was going to come true either. And this was one of those big come trues. When it was announced, I was like, oh, crap, Matt got one right. (laughs) I mean, yay, Matt got one right. (laughs) Wait a minute. That sounded like a slight. I'm not 100% sure, though. No. I'm not sure I like that. (laughs) You're my favorite. We all know that Nate is. Let's be real. Actually, my favorite Matt would be my husband, but you're a close second. True. Hey, let's hope so. I would hope so. That one too. I mean, I barely know him and he's more my favorite Matt than the one we're talking to now. You would hurt my feelings if I had a heart or feelings to hurt. Your heart is three sizes too small. Or is the two sizes too small? I can't remember. Uh, My heart is as black as the coal that Santa puts in my stocking. Well, at least it can heat your house. I mean, there's the upshot. He doesn't put coal in your stocking. Coal is too expensive to put in stockings. That's true. You're not wrong. Okay, (laughs) volcanic ash. Is that better? There we go. That's better. It sounds expensive. While I was making, particularly around video game recommendations and, uh, you know, what may or may not come true, Nate, you actually were looking more on the hardware end, though, weren't you, on one of your predictions? I was. The AMD-based gaming laptops, by year's end, would be from vendors like Dell that will offer, you know, Linux and such. I was looking, so I'm going to say true, but I didn't see them, like, necessarily ship with Linux, but laptops that are AMD-based, that are gaming, we got the Razer. I'm not really familiar with Razer. I know some people like really use those. The uh, Lenovo has one as well. And then there's Alienware. I know they're one of those big gaming type laptops. And I see MSI at Bravo, which has all the RGB vomit on the keyboard, which actually does look kind of cool. The way they display it in the little, hey, look at me photos. It looks pretty cool. Anyway, so I would say partially true. Didn't find out that was shipped with Linux, but there are at least AMD-based gaming laptops. There is definitely AMD-based gaming laptops. Uh, one of them that I was actually... I'm not buying because I already have basically spec for spec for it, other than the fact that it's the Ryzen system, is I think there's one, the Acer Swift X, which is like a Ryzen 7 5800U, which is a core 16 thread that comes equipped with a RTX 3050 Ti, which is something similar to what I have already. So I'm not dropping a thousand bucks on another system. God knows I got enough. Right. But the fact that it's AMD is awesome. I would say that they're not fully AMD systems. So that I would say that's why it's partially true more than that they're not shipping. Because we haven't seen a lot of like mobile AMD GPUs, the integrated uh, APU stuff. Well, they're not shipping with Linux. Eh, eh. Like I said, so you're like a quarter true then? <laughs> Well, I would say half true because you can buy these laptops with the AMD Ryzen, you know, with Radeon graphics like the HP Omen, but you just can't get it with Linux pre-installed. Well, technically, if you want Linux pre-installed, you could get it from like a System76 or one of the, you know, Linux OEMs. Sure, but I said major vendors. That's not a slight against System76, but they're not a major vendor. (laughs) They're major in the Linux OEMs, but not the mainstream OEMs. I I know what you mean. Although I wouldn't consider like Razer a major vendor, but that's just me. mainstream gaming vendor though yeah they're pretty much everywhere when it comes to gaming type stores i know they have a huge rack at our local best buy speaking of razor in general i couldn't help but overhearing a conversation behind me last time i was there and this guy was like oh my gosh yeah i gotta have razor stuff because razor's the best and i'm like okay then 
best at being overpriced. <laughs> right. But they do have the RGB vomit. That they do. There's tons and tons of rainbow vomit all over that crap. And I spent 40 bucks for the mechanical mouse and keyboard stuff that I have now, and it has all the same amount of rainbow color vomit. <laughs> so. Yeah, way cheaper. Yeah. Though I do have to say I'm loving this AMD full systems in laptops. We've still been fighting my daughter's laptop and just getting the stupid NVIDIA <laughs> GPU to be working properly. I don't know. It's killing me. She had me play one of her games on her laptops here recently. It's one of the Five Nights at Freddy's games. And mm. it was essentially unplayable because it was running at like 15 to 20 frames per second. So how in the heck are you supposed to stop Freddy from coming in and killing you when... You can't move it around. And it's not that the laptop itself doesn't have the hardware to handle it. It's just that getting that stupid NVIDIA graphics card to work is... I want to punch something. So, Wendy, I do have a suggestion. I don't know if you have it because I know what laptop you speak of because I also have a similar machine that is dual GPU, which is mad annoying. Totally get it. Do you have, I think it's Optimus Manager QT installed? I don't know that I have it installed currently, and in the past it hasn't made a difference. What it should do, I can only speak from my experience, so it might be different, is you can tell it to only use the NVIDIA GPU at boot. Okay, yeah, I tell it that, and it doesn't beep. Listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> it still uses the brass of... Intel one still uses the integrated graph. I would say yeah. give it a try because mm -hmm. I had similar issues with the 1060 machine that I had. That was the machine I was having issues with. At least I know on the 3050 that I have, which is also it's an Intel XE system with NVIDIA. It is not even on, and I'm running Garuda on it, so it's a little more bleeding edge, but still Arch, which I know I'm assuming your daughter's running Manjaro. Yep. Shock, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is no system in this house that's running Manjaro except for pretty much every system that gets used. I mean, what? Anyway, I would try downloading that. Make sure you get the actual applet as well, because there's a CLI and then there's the applet. Download that and you probably shouldn't have that issue anymore because I know for me, I'm running on the Garuda stuff and the NVIDIA stuff has just stayed constantly even on reboots and application reinstalls and all the other stuff. So I don't know when the last time you tried it was, but that just, just a recommendation. It's been a while. It's one of those things that makes me so angry. I need an afternoon where I don't have anything else going on in order to just make the stupid thing work. And I haven't had an afternoon to do it. And I think that's part of the reason why she wanted me to play her game because she was like mom you need to work on my laptop see <laughs> subtle way of fix me please <laughs> that's funny so that got totally derailed yes yes it did that's okay that's fun though all right so you made another prediction about the status of wayland and you're giving yourself a true on that one yeah i probably should say half true that's what i'm thinking too <laughs> Well, Fordor has been shipping Wayland by default for a bit now, but I know there's conversations about Ubuntu using it as default for, I think, 2204, if I'm not mistaken. I know they did it on the interim releases because, you know, that's what the interim releases are for. But you hear more about Wayland becoming kind of more of a default on some of the bigger distros. Not all of them, but the ones that mm -hmm. wouldn't kind of be leaders in the Linux 
community as far as you know where they pick and choose technologies and stuff the system d or you know init v kind of debates and that kind of stuff once those distros make those choices that's kind of where the community guides the community to and you're starting to see that with wayland so that's kind of why i give it more of a half true not a full true because it partially came true now i will say that at least from open perspective because you know i have to do that tumbleweed has it installed by default so they do ship it but they don't make it the first choice at least on plasma anyway way it's an option that's there and i will say it is close to being ready i was actually trying it again this past week and the drag and drop ability let's say like to upload something or whatever or like even with caden live to drag and drop a clip from dolphin into your project bin doesn't work so i switched back to x because there's some features that just quite aren't there yeah it's still lacking some basic finale i'm not gonna lie (laughs) but the fact that more are shipping it by default i think is a testament to how far it's come even though it's taking you over a decade (laughs) when i first got into linux wayland was all the buzz as far as how yeah this is what's coming it's going to replace x it's going to be so great And just like GIMP 3.0, it's just going to take some time to smooth out. They're working on it in the back, but they haven't put it on all the distributions right up front. So everybody has a bad user experience unless you go switch backs to X. It's more of a, hey, we finally reached a point that if you want to, you can start with Wayland. But we're not going to make you because we know for the most part, it's still missing certain features. But it does look so good. It really does. When I ran it, I'm like, wow, there's something just so smooth about it. And not that X isn't, but there's something, some extra smoothness that Wayland has. Maybe some of the way it blends things. I don't know. Functionality. I'll take the functionality and slightly less smooth and slightly more smooth and less functionality. Speaking of something that has not been a smooth launch, uh, Wendy, one of your predictions didn't exactly work out the way you were hoping. Yeah. And this is one you guys were giving me a hard time on because you're like, oh, that's so easy. You control it. Well, I may have control it, but it still didn't happen. Camera corner was my prediction. I said, hey, we're going to have a camera corner and it'll be awesome. It still will be awesome. But yeah, it hasn't actually happened yet. I'm blaming on the fact that we're part of two different homeschool co-ops. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I understand the amount of time suck that kids have. I thought it actually would get easier as they get older, but it's actually worse. Yes, they are actually way more time consuming as they get older, but it's a different type of time consuming. When they're a baby, they're just attached to you all the time. You've got to meet all of their needs. And now that they're older, while yes, they can feed and bathe themselves and all of that good stuff, it is more, hey mom, I'm part of all these different activities and we need to get here and there and here and there. And next thing you know, the entire year has gone and the show that you really, really wanted to launch hasn't happened yet. And it's not because I haven't had support from Magneto. The entire year, he's been saying, hey, where's Camera Corner? It doesn't have to be that long. It could just be a 15-minute little thing here and there. So Magneto has been in the back saying, you can do this. It'll be awesome. Go for it. And I just haven't gotten around to getting it done yet. I am hoping to make this happen in the coming year. I really, really do want to have Camera Corner up and running. And it's not that I'm not covering great Camera Corner stuff inside of Hardware Addicts. I love doing that segment on that show, but there are some things that can't really be expressed in an audio-only podcast And that is where Camera Corner would step in and take its place. Some of that stuff that just has to be done visually could be one of those things. Maybe the first episode will be something I've been eyeing. 
If you want to know the thing I've been eyeing, you have to go check out episode 51 of Hardware Addicts. I talk about it in the camera corner there. It's in my cart. I'm pretty dang close to hitting the buy button. Well, I'm all about this camera corner whenever it can happen, but I completely understand how the family thing gets in the way. It is, I don't want to say a hindrance because it's, it's a temporary hindrance, but when it does happen, it'll be right. And I know that it'll be good, and especially, and I was just thinking about it, whatever subject you cover, like on Hardware Addicts, I don't know what the time is between recording and going live with that episode. If you did maybe like a little video about that subject in like a little bit more detail, I think that'd be pretty darn cool. But that's just me. It'd be nice to like dovetail into. Yeah, that's one way we've talked about working in Camera Corner. And really, from the time of record to the time you get Hardware Addicts is really pretty short. We used to record on Mondays, and then it drops that following Friday Lately, we've been recording on Tuesday or Wednesday, and then it still drops that following Friday. Ryan does all the editing for that show. He typically doesn't have much of a lead to get it done. And oh my goodness, is he ever fast. We record the show. He typically has it edited that night, and then Michael's got it loaded to YouTube for a scheduled release. Like, that one runs way smooth and faster than... I edit. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Having done or helped with the editing, I totally get it. It's when you can get to it. <laughs> it really is. Yep. So totally get that. Nate, you have so much background in the engineering applications. One of your predictions was that there would be greater adoption on Linux using these different CAD type softwares. Did that one come true for you? Not even close. So that one was way off. I really thought that something would come to Linux at a commercial level, some sort of third party from Autodesk or whatever, because they're, you know, Fusion 360 is so close to being as good as native on Linux. And they keep changing things and breaking it. And it's been very frustrating. But that said, I will say as a positive, things like installing FreeCAD or LeoCAD or some of these other you know, open source alternatives, not that LeoCAD is really an open source alternative to real engineering app, but they have become so much easier to install. They become so much more feature rich. Maybe it's just not going to matter, you know, in another couple of years. This prediction was absolutely way off. Didn't happen. Not even close. Which is kind of a bummer. I think that Linux would be a great operating system base for applications like these, especially where you don't want a lot of extra stuff running in the background while you're using these applications. A lot of them are very resource heavy especially the bigger the project you have, the more resources you need to run it. And doing something like using on a Linux system where you could really slim it down and its main purpose is running this software would make sense to me. But that's only from someone on the outside looking in, as I've only played with FreeCAD just a tiny bit, like we talked about last episode. I don't know how much additional work would be. Maybe it's just want to support it. But I really think that there'd be a huge user community for that. Like people who do 3D modeling and 3D printing that's already a small subset. And chances are a lot of those people are using Linux anyway, or a lot of them may be using Linux or have used Linux. Or, you know, it could be that this one thing is what keeps them from using Linux. I think that would be a great tipping point, especially in the makersphere. Nate, out of curiosity, have you tried BricsCAD? Yes. And? It's fine. To me, it feels like, um, I don't like some of the workflow on it, but it's been a while. They do have like six different versions too. It's probably been like eight years since I last tried it. When Nate says it's fine, that is probably the only way... You're going to hear or what you should hear when he says it's fine is it's really crap and I hate the workflow, but he's way too nice to say that. Yes. Well, it's neat. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's not that it's bad or that it's crap. It's that the workflow and the way they want you to work is just not how my mind wants to do it. And the alternatives out there like 
free CAD, although sometimes a bit uh, rough, still works better with how I like to think about my designs. Like when I imagine them in my head and the process I go to design it, I think from the terms of I have a block of steel or whatever, or if I'm thinking of like interfaces, then I build around those interfaces or whatever. I felt like BrisCAD just didn't meet those, but it has been several years since I've tried it and maybe I should give it another try. So I'm going to put that on my list of things to try again. Yeah, because you'd need another project. (laughs) Right. I need more projects to keep me, you know, busy because I'm not busy enough. Well, of course not. Uh-huh. I mean, <laughs> he's got to have them all. That's right. They're like Pokemon. I got to collect them all. So, Nate, I just looked at the BricsCAD website. They have a free 30-day BricsCAD Ultimate trial. Okay. FYI. FYI, I guess. That's good to know. Obviously, that pricing structure is a l- not exactly meant for individuals who plan on <laughs> spending $2,000 on a piece of application. Ouch! Most CAD is really expensive. That's industry software. So that doesn't surprise me, in fairness. But it makes it really hard as someone who's trying to learn the software to be able to understand it and how it works for anything but the open source stuff. Your average user isn't going to be able to just go pick that up unless you're taking a college course and have access to it. I've never ever seen BrisCAD in an educational setting. I've actually never seen it used in the wild or I've even heard anybody in the professional area talking about it. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's good. I don't know. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. So while we're talking hardware and everything else, there's been a bit of interesting stuff that, Wendy, you've been working on hardware-wise. Yes, I covered all of the specs for my brand new Raspberry Pi that I got for Christmas that I already knew I was going to get on (laughs) Hardware Addicts episode 51. So if you want to know what specs the ones I have is currently running, go check out that episode. And I couldn't wait for Nate in order to send me his easy to do list. Well, I probably could have, but I am not a Michael. I had to get it out of the box. I had to use it. (laughs) So on Christmas Day, that afternoon... I got pie hole set up and really it wasn't nowhere near as complicated as I was worried it was going to be. Of course, I did quite a bit of research beforehand. I'd watched some different videos. I'd read some different tutorials. So I did have a bit of understanding how it was going to go 
But I am one of those people that until I physically go through the process, I can be a little bit worried about it or try and make things overcomplicated in my head about setting it up for the first time. It really, really wasn't that bad. One of the things that I wish I would have known that didn't come up until after I had my pie hole set up was the advanced options inside the Raspberry Pi imagers. So Shift Control X brings up an advanced options panel where you can set the host name, enable SSH, configure Wi-Fi. Of course, I wasn't configuring Wi-Fi for this project. It needed to be directly through my router because I want the best possible connection between the two. Set some local time settings, which is absolutely awesome that this additional configuration is in there. Like I said, I wish I would have known beforehand because I needed to go ahead and set up or turn on SSH on my Raspberry Pi after the fact. And this is one of the things that I realized. Uh, I don't have a spare keyboard. So I've got the keyboard on my main system. I have the keyboard on the kitchen system. But anymore, I don't have an extra. This is one of those things that needs to get fixed now. No extra keyboards. So I was working at my main desk in my room and my keyboard has a USB-C connection directly inside the board. So I would unplug my keyboard. I had another USB to USB-C connected to my Raspberry Pi, connect that up, do some things, and I was jumping back and forth, putting the keyboard between systems. I got SSH set up, and after that, it was so much easier because I was just SSH into my Pi and was able to do the rest of the configurations, not necessarily on Pi Hole. After I did that, I had it up and running. Like I said, that went really pretty smooth. I added another step and I set up Unbound on top of my Pi Hole as well. I'm not sure, but this advanced option thing and the Raspberry Pi imager, I've been using this for a long time and I've never seen that before. And why is that not a button? Isn't that the coolest thing? It should be a button. It should be a button right out there. It shouldn't be a hidden menu because turning SSH on by default, I think is something that you do with so much inside Raspberry Pi projects in general. So having it an easy access to be able to turn that on. So then... If that was the case, I could have put the SD into my Pi, jumped onto my router, seen what the IP address was for my Pi, and never even have to mess with moving keyboards around. I could have SSH directly into it, did all of my updates, doing all of my installations directly from there. Not had to dealt with the fact that I didn't have an extra keyboard. I'm just really befuddled as to why is that not a button press somewhere? It's not a button on the interface anywhere. I'm really excited that I got to teach you something about the Raspberry Pi installer that you didn't know. That would have saved me a lot of steps, but there is a very easy way to enable SSH after the fact. I do have that in my article. I'm uh, surprised and I'm glad you taught me something. Tell me about this Unbound. I do absolutely love Piehole. It's doing everything that I wanted it to, but I wanted to add an extra step of security. Like I had mentioned before, Unbound was the next thing that went on to my Raspberry Pi after install of it. Now it's a recursive DNS server. And its job is to go ahead and handle those IP queries. One of the things this does from my very limited knowledge when it comes to networking is help prevent some of those scenarios where a DNS server has been hacked, especially one of those big name ones and malicious 
people, malicious places have hacked maybe a bank website or something else like that and really helps to prevent some of those scenarios where phishing sites are using real websites to gather data and do all kinds of mean things. I haven't noticed really any issues as far as things still run pretty fast. Of course, the first load of websites, it's definitely slower. After that, it gets cached and my web services have been running really quite smoothly. The thing that I was most, I would definitely have to say disgusted by is my Roku devices phoning home. I knew there was definitely some security issues with Roku devices. I wasn't new to that. It was already in the back of my mind. But just seeing how many times they're phoning home is gross. The Roku is the top two domains on my top blocked list. Now, it could be that they are phoning home extra because they're not able to get through. I had that issue with Ghostry. I was using Ghostry as the ad blocker for my web browsers. And over on the top permitted, I was seeing this collector address from Ghostry, which really made me not very happy. And once I blocked that one, the amount of times that it was trying to phone home ticked up quite a bit. I have since uninstalled Ghostry. It is no longer what I'm using for ad blocking. I have uBlock Origin installed. It is doing a great job. I'm not having any issues with it phoning home and sending data like Ghostry was. Gross. But otherwise, Monday is when I got to do some little bit more digging and increased the amount of stuff that was being blocked. So originally I had used the Stephen Black master list, which has quite a bit of different ad related things. And then I added several more. One of the places I found has lists for suspicious ones for not only advertising, but links that are directly associated with tracking. And I've added all of those. There were a few channels on my Roku that I just got rid of because after doing all of this, they wouldn't run at all. They were free ones. We didn't really watch them. I made the decision that it was better to get rid of them than turn this off in order to use them. So my current domains on block list is 1,640,096. It is really quite high. My average for percentage blocked right now is sitting around 64%. And I would really like to know what certain websites were being visited at the time because the highest I've seen on that graph, so it's showing you at a specific time period, what is your percentage of being blocked? At one point, I have an 85.7% of queries, DNS queries being blocked. I really want to know at that time what was being used, what was being searched, what was being looked at in order to have that massive of a block percentage at that time. It's just absolutely crazy. Yeah, the top clients, that'll tell you what at least is causing most of your problems. You said it was your Roku device. There's probably some tutorials out there to dig into it further, I'm guessing. Yeah, I would love to know like at these certain peaks when the percentages 
like I said, that much higher. What is it that's being accessed at the time? And I know that your percentage of block lists, of course, fluctuates because it depends on the time of the day. It depends on how you're using devices, what websites you're going to. Mm -hmm. So being able to pick that specific time, it'd be interesting to see what was being accessed and what were all the things that were being blocked. I have a pretty good idea that some of it was advertising, but maybe quite a bit of it was telemetry related stuff that was going on. I absolutely love the pie hole. I'm excited to use it with Unbound. I really, really wish I would have done this before. The next thing on the to-do list for this project is to go ahead and get a VPN set up as well. Put another layer of security around the house and I would like to be able to get another pie. I know, maybe two and set them up for additional projects. You may as well go for three, yeah. May as well go for three. Actually, three is on the list because I want to upgrade my in-laws router and put a pie hole on their network. Lots of things to do with the pie. There's just so many fun projects to do with the pie. Pie hole is probably one of the most practical and necessary projects I think that you have to have. And it's unfortunate that it's a necessary project to have, really. You have to guard your pipeline. And also for people who are on like a metered connection, you know, that have to pay per gigabyte or whatever, you know, all that advertising is really quite damaging to people. I mean, that really affects your bottom line. And the pie hole actually solves a lot of those problems. It'll save you money. It'll probably pay for itself pretty quick if you're on a metered connection. I really think that it will. I haven't had it up and running for long enough to get a good look to compare data between the two. So here in a couple weeks after it's been running, I'd like to kind of give a rundown on the averages, how things that have changed from before to after setting up the Pi. Now that that's up and running, I definitely want a media server made from a Pi and I want a NAS made from a Raspberry Pi. And NAS has been on my wish list for a really, really, really long time. But every time I look at them, just the overall price has been the restrictive factor to get it up and running, that initial cost. And to do this project with a Raspberry Pi would be, hey, it's a start, I can get it going, and then I can always upgrade later or, you know, add more pies. I mean, wait, what? (laughs) No, adding more pies is reasonable. It's totally reasonable. (laughs) Well, I have new hardware that I've done all kinds of fun things with. You are using some existing hardware to get an old game up and running. How is that going, Nate? We did talk about this before, but great. Let me answer the question first. Great. So there is a release of Sonic the Hedgehog for the Commodore 64 with a RAM expansion unit. It's an amazing thing in that that they were able to do that. It's essentially a direct port of the uh, Sega Master System version of Sonic the Hedgehog that was done for the Commodore 64. And it does require the RAM expansion unit because of some of the memory management that would give the computer. It's not straightforward to get running because it does require that. So you can't just use it on any stock Commodore. You have to have that RAM expansion or something that allows, like a Commodore 64 Maxi, C64 Maxi, I should say, or running on Vice. So the easiest way is to run it on Vice. And it's a little bit fiddly to get it to work. There's an opportunity for me to document something there for sure. But one, it's the music on it was actually done very well. Probably sounds a little more like the 16-bit version, the Master System version as far as music goes, because the SID chip in the Commodore 64 is a little more capable than the Master System. But it's a lot of fun. It's fast. It scrolls smooth. It's amazing. Like, I can't help but think, how would that have affected in the 8-bit era if someone had done this, you know, some 20, 30 years ago? But nonetheless, right now, it's great. It's fun to play. The kids like it. 
And what I think is also interesting too is Sega, their attitude toward this was cool. As long as you make any money off of it, go forth, do all the uh, the fan stuff you want, and we're not going to come after that. Which is unlike another company, although I really love what they do, <coughs> Nintendo. You kind of disappoint me in how you go after the makers out there, the fans who actually put blood, sweat, and tears. Someone actually did a Super Mario Brothers, the first version, for the Commodore 64, and, and Nintendo had them take it down or have legal action. So I think it's unfortunate that Nintendo can't get on board with what Sega does with Sonic. You know, it's not hurting the intellectual property to have fan-made things, but apparently Nintendo thinks so and sega does not so good for you sega on allowing it to happen and even encouraging it someone from their hr even promoted it on on twitter driven attitude and very cool but it's a neat game to try out if you care to play sonic the hedgehog on a commodore 64 or, or an emulator anyway you could install Vice on, works on linux or windows maybe even mac i don't know if mac can support emulators matt might know i'm sure it does configure it with your expansion unit and you can play it's a good gaming experience as far as sonic goes and I think worth the time to play it. Sonic is definitely a favorite around this house. And another flashback to episode 51 of Hardware Addicts. After listening to Ryan talk about his experience with the handheld devices from Nintendo. They just, they just slipped my mind, the name of them. Nintendo DS or Game Boy? No, the newer ones. Well, there's a Switch now. Yes, yes. After... Hearing about his just joyful, not actually joyful, experience with the Switches and how much it costs to get games for them, even really, really old games, quote unquote, games that came out when it launched. I'm not surprised that Nintendo gets all sorts of angry with Mario being used, even if they're not making money from it, which is definitely, like you said, a bummer. But yay, Sega, and yay for Sonic. For sure. And now, Matt, you have another game recommendation. I should have you know, this will be your 41st game recommendation for 2021. Still not enough. This will publish in 2022. (laughs) So for me, it's the 41st game recommendation. Yes. So this game is a episodic game that was originally released for iOS and Android, if I remember correctly. And it is a game called Republic or Republic, however you want to pronounce that. The the end is spelled with a Q-U-E. So, you know. Put your phonetic enunciation where you do. I think Republic. But either way, it is Republic and also keep your pinky out. (laughs) But this is a episodic game that was put out for PC around like 2016, if I remember correctly. There was supposed to be a Linux port, but some middleware issues made it not possible, unfortunately. This was a Kickstarter game. Originally, the whole mentality for the company, which is called Camouflage, their whole thing was, instead of complaining about mobile games not being good, let's make a mobile game that's good. (laughs) So I can get behind a company like that. They Mm -hmm. ported this to PC, and it plays, if Nate, you might remember what this game is, there was an FMV game called Fahrenheit 451, and I don't mean the book, but there's an FMV game that kind of a similar approach where you are directing the protagonist kind of through obstacles and guards guards and kind of all that kind of stuff from a command room and you have access to cameras and all that kind of stuff that's the gameplay loop basically so you're you're kind of playing two characters but you're kind of not so you'll have to hack a door but in order to get the character there you have that character has to take out some guards and some other stuff it's a really fun game really story heavy graphically it's actually not that bad for i was expecting a whole lot worse when you hear mobile game you're like eh probably gonna be 
not pretty. Uh, but if you actually look at the graphics and realize that it's a six-year-old game at this point, it's actually not that bad looking. The character models look really good, actually. Um, you can see like mm -hmm. nice reflections in their eyes and kind of uh, more facial animations than I'm generically kind of used to seeing, even like mobile games or even like even some PC games. Really story focused. I'm obviously going to like it because, you know, dystopian future cyberpunky type game. <laughs> so for me, uh, it's definitely worth getting. And you can get the entire game without it being on sale on Steam for like 10 bucks. Yes, it does work on Linux. It at least gold, if not platinum rated on Proton. So it works perfectly fine because it uses Unity, I believe. But the middleware that they chose for, I think it was some of the movies or the sound or something didn't make it possible to work, but whatever. So definitely a fun game, definitely worth picking up. And it's like I said, it's a 10 buck game. And if you're into VR, they actually gave out a VR implementation of the game for free for people who already owned it. So that's also cool. That is cool. I mean, it's not the kind of game I would play because I don't like to dystopian sometimes i wonder if they're already yeah the graphics are great they really spend a lot of time in making sure that like, the humans in there seem very organic and even like the way they walk is organic looking it's not stiff and rigid it's a well done game without a doubt although a little dystopian yeah it's five episodes i don't remember exactly how long like if you want to really explore it can it's one of those games that can kind of go all over the map as far as like actual game length but it's definitely one worth getting i think i guess that especially at 10 bucks yeah it's not a bad price at all so while I've been away, there's been a kind of a back end discussion about what we're going to be looking to name the show coming up. And well, here's what we're going to end up calling it Lennox out loud, because really while Lennox is the primary motivator for the show, we talk about a lot of things and we're out loud about it. So it just makes sense. We're, we're really focusing on kind of a, a fresh slate. If you guys are on the RSS feeds and any of that kind of stuff or podcast feeds for insert podcast app here, you will be seeing like episodes. Episode zero one. We're starting fresh. It's a fresh beginning that'll happen over probably, I would say maybe the next month, give or take. Uh, we're still working on some of the finer details, but over the next two or three episodes, you'll see DLN extend, extend into Linux out loud. Yeah, we really, really, really want to keep the RSS feeds the exact same and not switch that up. So Michael handles so much of that back end stuff and we upload all of our episodes to Fireside and from Fireside it gets distributed out. He has contacted them about trying to make sure that we can keep those up and running. If any of that is going to change, we will definitely let you know, but we're hoping for a very smooth transition from Deal and Extend to Linux out loud, where you still get all of our craziness in a very open and free-flowing format. I think it probably does reflect a little bit more about who we are to say our views of Linux and the open source software. You know, we're just out loud about it. It just kind of fit. And so here we are with the name change. I guess maybe in a way we've kind of outgrown the old name, sort of. We're not a podcast about a podcast anymore. We might have been initially but we're a little more than that. I think I'm excited about where we're going from here. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a fun ride. I'm almost a little upset that I don't have a Linux Out Loud apron yet. I'm still wearing my DLN Extend apron, but I think I can add a little like an iron-on <laughs> sticker at some point. I think you're going to justify another purchase for another apron. <laughs> I'm trying not to be able to justify more purchases. <laughs> there is one last puzzle piece that we need in order to take the show from Deal and Extend to Linux Out Loud. And man, does that really fit the show and the personalities here so much better. That last piece is a brand new logo, stuff for our cover art, for the video art. We're reaching out to you, the community, for that artwork. We'll be doing a contest for a $100 gift card. 
If you'd like to enter, you can send the source file, SVG, or PSD to comments at destinationlinux.org. Once again, if you would like to enter, you would send that to comments at destinationlinux.org. Then we'll look through all of the different logos and creativity that you guys have there, pick our top three, then those top three will go back to the community. The one with the most votes will become the Linux Out Loud logo, plus they will get that $100 gift card. I cannot wait to see all of the awesome things you guys come up with. The details will be stated again down in the description below. We'd like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the Dion website for more information on how to connect to the social channels and all our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. If you'd prefer to hang out with us on our preferred social platforms, see all the links at the bottom of the show description or drop us a message on the contact form by visiting dlnxtend.com contact. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store and grab yourself some awesome DLN Extend swag. Also check out the merch for the other stores from across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us and we'll be back next week with another awesome episode of DLN Extend. Until next week, have a great week, everybody. Mm-hmm.